What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. I head on today's episode of The Window, how I spent my summer vacation. Back for a good time, not a long time. The last couple of weeks have created a change in plans, and I'm emptying the bag for football season from an audio standpoint. Why now? Well, we'll get into that with a major announcement about the future of this show and some exciting news for your fearless host. As always and forever, it's time to head to the window. Wait for it. Oh, let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. It's probably a cliche since I don't know if I remember actually writing about it in school, but it's the age-old essay as school is about to start, right? First day of school, you're back, teacher pulls out some paper and a pencil, and you have to write about how I spent my summer vacation. Now again, I don't know if I ever had to write that essay. I've seen it on television, whatever. But, you know, it's been a little bit. Did you miss me? It's been a few weeks here since we've had a podcast, and I have to explain, you know, why that necessarily is, and we have some other stuff that we need to talk about as well. We'll get to the football stuff here shortly, don't worry. But how I spent my summer vacation, played a little golf, visited with some people out of town and in town, and all of that sort of thing, and it was all very relaxing. But it wasn't supposed to be a vacation. We were supposed to have pop-up shows the last couple of weeks, once a week or so, with guests talking about sports betting in general. You know how we do it. Um, You know, during this down period of the sports season, we like to get people's stories about how they got into sports betting, how they got into the certain roles that they uh, are in with regards to the sports betting industry. And we haven't done that because something kind of crazy happened. Uh, the last couple of weeks that I didn't necessarily see coming. If you've been an avid listener to the podcast, you know I pride myself on getting guests on here that know what they're talking about, right? Like we want legitimate people talking about sports betting in a legitimate way. Obviously, I've spent more than enough time on this podcast sort of railing against the absolute drivel that's out there when it comes to sports betting content. And so I want people on here that I can trust to help us get better at betting. And if you're not helping us, you're not coming on the show. And, you know, if I sort of find out that you're not really all that great at sports betting, you're not going to come on more than once. Well, one of the best guests that we've had here three times, I believe, is Alex Moretto of The Score. And if you listen to those show or you've, shows or you've read his stuff on The Score app... You know he gets how to handicap a game, he knows there's a humility to betting sports, and that there's no such thing as a lock, right? He's not selling you on, you know, some idea of a five-star guaranteed banger lock, etc. His values and attitude towards betting is very similar to mine. So, a few weeks back, uh, an opportunity comes up, a listing for a full-time position as a betting writer for The Score. And as you know, I spent last season writing for the Action Network, and that was on a freelance basis. Right? I would essentially write every day, game preview, one, two, maybe even three, and do this podcast as well. 
and I was planning to be back there this fall, only adding NFL content to the hockey stuff from last season. I already spoke to them, and they were like, yeah, absolutely, freelance, NFL stuff, etc., etc., all that, totally you can do. But anyway, I sent Alex a message when I saw this listing, and I was like, well, you know, what's the deal with this gig? And, you know, I don't have to get into the back and forth and all of it, but long story short, I start Monday at the score as a full-time betting writer. Meanwhile, literally the same day I was offered the job, the score gets bought by Penn, which, as you may know, owns Barstool. So that was kind of wild, as that was all going on at the same time. And all of that stuff is something I still need to process, and I'm sure many of the people who have worked at the score for a long time also need to process. So whether it's the fact that the score is a Canadian company located basically down the street from me here in Toronto, or the fact that it's a company that I've been invested in literally for a while, or just the element of my respect for what they're doing in the content space and how they were, you know, pretty early to the sports betting thing here in Canada, right? Where I worked for places that were way behind and are still way behind in the sports betting space. And, you know, now the opportunity for growth. And I know, you know, listen, we can go back and forth on, you know, people's view on Barstool and Dave Portnoy, but I'm a fan of Big Cat and PFT and those guys. And, you know, I, there's, you know, all kinds of stuff that they're doing. And, you know, I have no idea where the score fits in and all of that. It's way, 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 way above my pay grade. But from a score standpoint, you know, they're buying that brand here in Canada because it is a uh, recognized brand here in Canada. And I think it's probably on your phone if you're in the United States right now. And so I just think it's a really good fit. But there's always a but. And there always feels like a sacrifice has to be made in some of these situations. And that's where we come to the big announcement for the window. This is the last episode of the window for the foreseeable future. Given the full-time nature of the position with the score as a matter of policy, they've made my appointment, you know, conditional on shuttering the podcast. Admittedly, that was kind of a surprise to me, given that it's a writing job and this is audio, but, you know, the position at the score is such a great opportunity, and I understand, you know, you're putting out content. Maybe it's via, you know, your vocal, vocal cords or the pen and paper, but I can see how sort of one thing would um, kind of overlap with another. That being said... Um, you know, joining this team should give me the support to make guest appearances on other shows. I'm not going to pass that up. The plan was always to be the guy answering the questions, right? I had people asking me questions, you know, from an amateur standpoint long before I turned the microphone on, right? So I've always wanted to answer the questions instead of ask them. I think I did an okay job of working on the skill set of just kind of talking, here, to give that info without anyone having to ask me stuff. And it's something that I really grew fond of doing here in the last year plus. So secondly, the score doesn't have a sports betting podcast. You're probably sitting there going like, do they? No, wait, no, they don't. So maybe that's something that I can bring to them. We can build here whenever they're ready to expand into a more digital audio content provider type space. And they know they know that I'm ready to throw my hat into that mix because this show was kind of my baby here, my pet project, if you will. 
right? And so uh, it took me a while, and I'm not fully over it necessarily, but it took me, you know, a while to sort of come to the realization that, yeah, this in this format is, you know, has to come to an end. And I created this show to show the world, if you will, that I know what I'm talking about in the realm of sports betting. Because before this, I was just a guy, you know, working in the back of a, you know, a sports network, you know, behind the scenes, behind the camera, if you will, who people came to at work for betting advice or buddies came to on our WhatsApp group uh, for betting advice. You know, who, a guy who made a few bucks betting and, and in contests, obviously the Vegas contest that we talked about in our last episode weeks ago now. So from that standpoint, it worked. The podcast did whatever it was supposed to do, right? It got the attention of somebody out there. So I have to be really proud of that. And so as much as I'm bummed that I have to say to you here, the people who have been listening for as long as you've been listening or as briefly as you've been listening, that, you know, it has to go away here. And I'm not certainly going anywhere. And maybe you're asking, why not more pods the last few weeks then? Why don't we just like empty the bucket here in a big time way, get as many guests as possible and really go out with a bang here. But the guest pods are designed to get people who may have not heard of the show to listen to the show, right? It's kind of designed to get a bigger audience where you can find people who follow this person or that person and maybe they give myself and this podcast a chance. But if the podcast is going away, is it worth chasing down those people to be on that show? Right, going into the work of putting that together and getting everything set up and then doing it. When they come on the show and a week later or two weeks later, they see that the show has been shuttered because I have to announce that, you know, basically what I'm doing now. To me, that would have been a little bit odd. And so I, ha I have real problems sort of going to people and being like, hey, do you want to come on this show, this show, knowing for the last couple of weeks here that it had to go away. So even though this sounds like a goodbye, it's not only in this sort of form. I'm literally going to be writing up a storm, short form, long form, basically on a daily basis at the score. Again, an app that's probably in your phone already. If it's not, get it. What are you waiting for? And if you follow me at MRussAuthentic on Twitter, you're gonna see me posting all, obviously all of the writing stuff, and all the audio stuff I do on other shows, guesting on other people's shows. Or if there's any developments internally with regards to any digital stuff with the score. And listen, maybe I go 0-10 to start the NFL season and they give me the boot two weeks in. I might just be back here. You know? Like nothing ever happened. But I've said it in other episodes that I didn't know where this show was going, right? Whether it was the sort of year-end show or any time a season ended, uh, you know, for a specific sport. And if it grew like wildfire and someone wanted me to pay to, you know, wanted to pay me to do this show, then we'd be all good. We'd be doing this show five days a week, six days come NFL season. And we'd be able to just do this show and live happily ever after, if you will. And... That hasn't happened in a full-time way before the score jumped in with an offer for a full-time writing position. And I have been a pain on this show, or at least I sort of feel like I have, about the subscribe, rate, review, and share, right? Subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast, share, share. And, you know, I think sometimes that sort of sounds selfish in a way or just like looking for clout. 
But the truth is, that's just how an audience gets built, right? When you don't have some crazy marketing budget or a team of influencers, excuse me, influencers or whatever, you know, that's just how you build an audience, word of mouth. And whether it's, you know, the people who've reached out from Kentucky, Illinois, California, Texas, New Jersey, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to leave states or, or provinces out. But the audience has been awesome in this personal way. So many of you have been reaching out via DM, engaging on Twitter. So I thank all of you, right? Um, the friends of the podcast that have come on, literal friends of mine, Brandon Lefebvre, Ashish Barty, David Pereira, Rob Abitangelo, Ted Ballantyne, Tuesdays with Ted, our guy. The good news for me is I can still talk to Ted on Tuesdays. I can talk to Ted on Thursdays. I can talk to Ted whenever. Bad news for you guys is you don't get to enjoy his um, off-kilter uh, take on the world of sports. Sheldon Alexander, a guy who you know didn't have to come on every Monday for the NFL season, didn't have to come on every Monday for the NBA playoffs, didn't have to come on for uh, the NCAA tournament, a guy who didn't have to basically create a podcast on his network for us to talk about football every week. And I think we're probably going to be able to do that, i.e. I, he's going to be able to do that, and I'm going to be able to be a guest on his show. Nothing really should change there, as I'm just simply the guest on his network. But, you know, these are the things where you look up and you go, okay, you accept this offer, and you look up and you go, oh man, wait a second. Can't do Mondays with Shell anymore. Can't do Tuesdays with Ted. Speaking of, this obviously means we can't do the podcast stuff for the Circa Survivor and Circa Million, the Vegas contest stuff, which again, should give you an idea of how unplanned this all was, right? We do this podcast, um, you know, with my proxy, Matty Simo and Jeff Benson from Circa, all kind of setting up the idea that, you know, we do the Circa Survivor as a group for the podcast. Well, no podcast means no group. Circa Survivor. So I'll reach out to the people who have reached out to me in interest of joining that group. But the contest stuff will now all just be discussed in print over on the SCORE app. Friday column basically breaking down the NFL stuff, what contest stuff we're going to do in that department. Uh, the guests, I mean, there's literally too many of them to mention, and that's an incredibly fortunate position to be in, obviously. Um, I will mention the early ones, right? And that's kind of the way it works from a podcast standpoint, right? You get your first guest, and now you can go to the next person that you want on. You say, hey, this guy was on my show. Will you be on my show? And then they say yes, and so you go to somebody that maybe they know. And you say, hey, this person was on my show. Will you be on my show? And it just goes from there. So Chris Abbott, Matty Simo, Dave Tooley, Chad Millman, all of the guys over at the Action Network that have been on. So many other one-off guys along the way. And obviously, of course, Alex, who ended up being a key figure. Who knew that, you know, six, eight, ten months ago, the first time I had Alex on, that this is where this would sort of head. So now you're saying, you know, wait a second here. Why is this episode so damn long? If this all sort of feels like a goodbye here. Well, I said I start on Monday, which means I've got some time here. And what we'll do is we're going to empty the bag here for football season. Now it's you know end of the first week of preseason. 
specifics as far as betting and whatnot will be in written form before the season starts, but I thought I'd just freeform combo here since we have this last chance to chat with each other uh, about every team in the NFL uh, in a more casual way. So without further ado, my mid preseason position on every team in the NFL and some college football ramblings. In general, it's a weird time of year right now, right? You've got two more meaningful-ish, right? The two biggest, if you will, preseason um, games left where people can get hurt. Guys can get hurt. That's obviously the thing that we're most worried about when it comes to talking about the NFL. It's why we don't put a ton of bets in here because obviously a lot of stuff can happen and usually does that can derail a season. And people will say, well, okay, it goes both ways, right? You could be fading a team, you know, an under and a win total, and then they could lose their quarterback. Sure, but there's a lot of other stuff, right? There's futures, division titles, conference titles, Super Bowl titles, you know, um, you know, yardage props, all of that sort of thing. And again, that stuff's all going to be written out for the score. So don't worry about, you know, as far as grabbing the pen and pencil and just writing down everything you need to know about that, because you don't. But here we are on August, what, 16th, uh, 17th, and, you know, I've got an opinion on basically every one of these teams. And sometimes that opinion is a wait and see opinion. And sometimes that opinion is, um, you know, more deep dive right into it type of a situation. So we'll start with the NFC West. We're going to crank through this. We don't need to go hour and a half on every single team here. We only need to do a couple of minutes per each team before we get going on this season. So San Francisco in the NFC West. I think San Francisco is probably going to be the best team. I, you know, I think that should probably be pretty obvious to people because as much as maybe you don't like Jimmy G, for example, there's two things to remember about Jimmy G, right? One of the things about Jimmy G is that he actually made a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, right? So if the team is good around him, then Jimmy G is sufficient. The other thing is it's probably not going to be around all that long, right? As we know. So Trey Lance probably going to take over, whether that happens before the first game or whether it happens in the third or fourth game. And if it doesn't happen at all, it means Jimmy G probably played pretty well. And so there's a lot of real reasons here to like San Francisco. They get all of these guys back that they missed last year. I'm not telling you anything you don't really know. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in what's going on with the rest of a division or, you know, with their rivals or this, that, or whatever, right? And so you look at the Rams, and Rams turn Jared Goff into Matt Stafford. But how much is that going to really change things, right? And now, not that the Cam Akers injury changes everything for the Rams offense, but the Rams offense, when it was good, was predicated on running the football, right? In the peak Todd Gurley years. And so if that's not necessarily there in the offensive line, which is super shallow, right now and so all it will take is one or two injuries to the Rams offensive line for this to potentially fall apart entirely as for their defense the defense obviously was very good last year the defensive uh, mastermind behind that is no longer there that can't be necessarily a good thing for the Rams so at the top here you've got San Francisco and LA and LA's got Matt Stafford coming in and so we all just go well like finally Matt Stafford got out of Detroit thanks you know, thank God, oh, we got him out of Detroit. Now he can live, right? Now he can breathe. Okay, I like Matt Stafford as much as the next guy, but right, but that doesn't necessarily mean all of a sudden that Matt Stafford should be a MVP candidate here. And we saw, we went through that 
when he was first signed where everybody just kind of piled in on Matt Stafford MVP as if like that was some sort of um, you know secret thing that people were like pull, you know pulling off some sort of uh, trick on people betting Matt Stafford to win the MVP like that didn't really make much sense for me at all so whether it's San Francisco or LA like you know all these teams are rated pretty equally across the board for most people like I like San Francisco a lot more than I like the Rams then you've got Seattle, who, of course, everybody, you know, it's the same thing, right? It's Russell Wilson. He's amazing. And then all of a sudden he's he's not for a bit. And then he is for a bit. And he's running this show because, and he should be the MVP or sort of an MVP candidate because he's dealing with a coach who is a minus at this point. Pete Carroll is a minus when it comes to, you know, game management and putting your team in a position to win games. And so if Shanahan for the 49ers is a plus and Carroll is a minus and Seattle has the same depth issue that San Francisco and L.A. had, San Francisco no longer has it because all of their guys are back, then, you know, where am I supposed to put Seattle in this rating? And if they're getting credit as, you know, a Rams-level team, a 49ers-level team, I just don't agree with that. I just patently don't agree with that. Um, they obviously advanced in the playoffs last, or excuse me, didn't you know advance to the playoffs last year, and then got knocked out at home by the Rams, who were basically playing without a quarterback. And so, what's going to get better for the Seahawks? I don't think all that much. Speaking of getting better, or at least trying to get better, that's the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I don't know that they're necessarily going to finish fourth here, the way that I sort of have them listed, at least from the order of mention here doing this podcast but you know what did we see last year it was a lot of more dumb stuff from a coaching standpoint and that's worth mentioning that when we look at these teams and we get into training camp and you're looking at quarterbacks and of course everybody's talking about the rookie quarterbacks right now and everybody's talking about you know injuries and defenses etc etc but like these head coaches, we do it every single week. If there was any takeaway from this podcast last year on Mondays and basically throughout the week, watching any playoff game or primetime game, it's that it comes down to these coaching decisions so often. In a league so tight from a competitive standpoint, these coaching decisions are what make or break these teams. And so while from a fantasy football standpoint, Kyler Murray's running around and every year he gets a new, you know, shiny object to play with. In this case, maybe it's an old object in AJ Green. But, you know, you just go, okay, but Kingsbury's still going to screw this up. He's still going to punt on 4th and 2 at the 40. He's still going to kick a field goal on 4th and 2 from the 40. He's still going to make bad decisions here. And unless he changes, and maybe we see that in a couple of, you know, couple of games into this season, where he just goes, screw it, going balls to the wall here. We're going forward on 4th down every single time. Which is something you would expect from somebody who at least looks like Kingsbury right? He's young, he's hip, he's going forward on 4th down. No, he's kicking field goals. He's kicking field goals where he has an absolute nightmare matchup guy in Kyler Murray. So I'm not saying that any one of these teams will be dead last because Russell Wilson's good enough for them to not be dead last. The Rams in general, from a high-end talent standpoint, are good enough to not be dead last. And the Cardinals, again, should be on the come-up here and should be good enough not to be dead last. So this is obviously an interesting division to start with here because... 
all the teams have at least a capability of being really good, but only one team has truly shown it, and that's San Francisco. And just because we had a year off of that, because they literally lost their entire defensive line, the vast majority of their secondary, you know, half the offensive line at various points, half the skill position players go up and down the skill positions, right? The Debo Samuels, the Brandon Ayukes, George Kittle, of course, right? Any one of their running backs over the last three, four years. There's plenty of talent on that team. And if the biggest issue is a quarterback, but we've got two different guys here that we could line up. Now, maybe both of them stink. Maybe both of them get hurt. I don't know. But all of that stuff, I think, lends itself to believe that the 49ers should be the best team in this group. And in an NFC that we're going to go through it here, outside of Tampa Bay is pretty dicey. You know, isn't San Francisco that other team that could give Tampa Bay a run? Speaking of Tampa Bay, NFC South going to be hard not to bet on this team to win the division even at sort of an odds on type of a price right even at a minus you know 150 160 up to 200 type of a price you know we look we try to look when there's that prohibitive favorite in a division we try to find okay is there a team other than this that we can back and people start talking themselves into this team or that team and i don't have to tell you that much about tampa bay you know it's the Defending Super Bowl champions who are bringing literally everyone back. Not much to talk about there. So as far as the rest of the division, who is going to contend? Who is going to be a thorn in that team's side? I can't shake the idea that it might go really, really bad for New Orleans this year. Whether it's Michael Thomas and like somehow that's now kind of gone under the radar because he's sort of out of sight, out of mind. But that's a really kind of a rough look both for Thomas, but also for the Saints as well, where you go, most guys, if the if the organization and the team and everything is going really well, they're not going to behave the way that he behaved as far as like getting the surgery late and having this injury kind of strung out for an extended period of time. And now you got Jameis Winston, not exactly Mr. Consistency, and Taysom Hill, when forced to play quarterback in a 100% type of a way, we have yet to see it go really well. And so, you know, we're talking about a team that's been sort of battling the salary cap monster that's coming uh, year after year, right? Just deferring, 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 trying to keep it going. And yeah, like, can you make the case that the quarterback play, especially if it's Winston, might actually be better than Breeze last year, who frankly was holding them back when he was allegedly healthy, which of course he never really was, and couldn't get the ball down the field. So who else could it be? Well, Carolina? I have a take on Carolina that I don't feel like a lot of people necessarily uh, agree with, or at least in two different ways here. So take number one is I've never been a Sam Darnold guy. Um, it always looks good when he throws that like out route from 25 yards and just like drops it right in time to the receiver. But kind of everything else is a bit of a mess right and it's and it's all ball security and so when again we talk about metrics and analytics and you know yards per attempt and epa per play and epa per throw and epa for the whatever it's like yeah but if once every five throws you just throw it to the other team or you drop the ball on the ground like all of that other stuff kind of ceases to matter so you're bringing in a guy here to replace you know ostensibly teddy bridgewater who was really solid about not turning the ball over 
And when you're handicapping games, if somebody could just tell us before the game started, hey, this one team is going to have two more turnovers than the other team, we would be betting on the team with the less turnovers. We would be doing that every single time. You know, I'll reference expected goals for and all of that stuff that we talk about high danger chances. If we know it's going to be 20 to 4 in high danger chances at even strength, we're going to take that team getting 20 high danger chances. It's the same thing. If we know one quarterback's going to turn the ball over twice and the other's probably not, we're going to take that quarterback who's not turning the ball over. So I don't love Sam Darnold. Could he finally figure it out? But he didn't really figure it out against, you know, when he was with USC. He didn't, certainly didn't figure it out when he was with the Jets. You know, we always talk about, okay, if a player is quote-unquote in his prime and he is on his second team, that's a massive red flag. Those things don't necessarily happen. Now, maybe you're going, okay, it's going to be Ryan Tannehill's situation. Because the one pro for Sam Darnold is that he's leaving Adam Gase. And leaving Adam Gase is the best thing that you can do from a quarterbacking standpoint. And he's going to Joe Brady, who everybody loves right? He turned the LSU offense around. What a hero. Of course, as we look back, that LSU offense featured Joe Burrow and an absolute fleet of first round picks from a skill position standpoint. And a team that had obviously defensive talent, uh, as they always do. So basically all he did, I don't want to say all he did as though he didn't do anything, but basically what he did is he looked at this team that was just run, 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 and didn't have a quality quarterback. They were able to get a quality quarterback in Burrow via transfer, a kid who was going to Ohio State. This wasn't a guy who was going to Louisiana Monroe. And they got this guy and said, you know what we should do? We should throw it to all these receivers because we've just spent the last decade getting our receivers drafted in the, in the first round. You know, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, it's a, you know, go on down the list. Maybe we should throw the ball a ton. So he decided to do that. And that team wins the national title, and we look back at it going like that might have been one of the best, you know, teams in the history of college football. So how hard could that have necessarily have been? You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to slam Joe, Joe Brady. sounds like a certain, you know, a fine gentleman. But, like, how hard could that actually have been if we all think that joe burrow is good enough to play if he had turned an offensive around and you know that quarterback was drafted in the third round okay that's something right but for him to go first overall have a great rookie season until he of course got hurt it's just is this guy really you know this guru of offense now he goes to carolina and we're expecting things last year okay mccaffrey gets hurt and he's going to be back and that's obviously a plus that's obviously going to help sam darnold now he's actually going to have a running back so the pros are of course sam darnold's got a running back so M. darnold doesn't have adam gase he's got a real offensive coordinator all of these really good things so you know those are the kind of obvious elements to all of this so i just needed to mention that like by the way sam darnold's gonna probably still throw you some interceptions and the offensive coordinator didn't exactly light the world on fire um from a scheme standpoint last year but i think carolina has maybe a better chance again from a high-end ceiling standpoint of at least flirting with tampa bay up at the top of the division atlanta if you recall from my you know around the draft podcasts I honestly think Atlanta's tanking. And, you know, from an organizational standpoint. Because you don't draft a tight end sort of hybrid wide receiver and you go, okay, 
we're back. We're ready to go here. When you look around at that talent or lack thereof defensively, and you look at your quarterback who just has not played very well the last couple of years, and you know, I say tanking, but I don't. You know, it's not like I think that they're going to necessarily be the worst team in the league. But that would be an awfully interesting bet potentially, because all it would take is Matt Ryan to get injured, which you know at this point in his career, not exactly the most mobile guy, et cetera, et cetera, for him to get injured, and then what happens? Then the whole thing really falls apart here. Defense is bad and the offense can't keep up. You're not going to have that many aged quarterbacks where there's that much far fall off from what would happen if they were gone than if they were healthy for 16 games. What are the odds Matt Ryan is healthy for 16 games? Especially given the fact that he's going to be back there probably having to throw it a ton. And they weren't going to be able to take a quarterback because they're not going to be able to get out of his... They weren't going to be able to get out of Matt Ryan's contract. So, of course, they took a guy who, you know, you stopgap. Maybe the team plays okay because they have that offense this year. But a guy who's going to be good next year when they have a rookie quarterback that they draft. And again, higher you draft, better chance you have to get a good one. So when I say, like, from an organizational standpoint, like, they might be tanking. This is a team that I think is a lot closer to the bottom of the league than it is to even the top of its division, which, of course, is the top of the league with Tampa Bay. As for the NFC North, big story, right? All throughout the offseason, will he, won't he play, et cetera, et cetera, right? Aaron Rodgers. Now, the last couple of years, we've all kind of looked at these metrics with the Packers and gone, man, they're a lot, you know, their record's a lot better than they're actually playing. And whether that was two years ago, you know, we came in last year going like, can they duplicate it? Guess what? They duplicated it. Won their division. I, I am selling the Packers this season. I don't believe this whole like last dance, like this is going to all work out and everything's going to be hunky-dory. I don't know if I've ever even used that phrase before, but I don't believe that it's all just going to be fine this season. I don't think that's how things work. Will Rodgers be good? Sure. He just won the MVP. Does that mean he's going to win the MVP this year? Of course it doesn't. He's been around a long time. He's had good seasons. He's had bad seasons. Maybe not bad seasons, but bad for him type of season. So I'm looking for somebody else to win this division. And up until the fact that Kirk Cousins opened his mouth and jumped in the lineup here of guys who we didn't know were total dumbasses, and then they started talking about viruses and vaccines and now we know that they're dumbasses now we know right we know why the Kirk Cousins thing isn't ever worked it hasn't ever worked because he's an idiot now again it's not necessarily a vaccine related thing like that's not why he's an idiot he's an idiot for a bunch of different reasons and we just get to find out about it because of the quote-unquote controversy of a back of of the vaccine so the bad news is, is like, in order to fade the Packers here a little bit, I got to find a team in the NFC North. And I, and I was ready to make that team the Vikings because they do have the weapons on offense. And as much of as a dope Kirk Cousins might be, at least he's got guys on that team to give the ball to. And he knows how to get them the ball, right? That we went into last season and Justin Jefferson wasn't even starting. BC Johnson was starting for the Vikings. The Vikings went into last season with a brand new, super young, super green defense. And their head coach is a defensive guy. 
So what I think could be happening here is, think about it this way. Of the guys who left the Vikings defense, how many of them went to another team and you're like, ooh, Vikings really shouldn't have let that guy go? Hasn't really happened, right? Hasn't really. It's not like Everson Griffin was all of a sudden an absolute star when he moved on. Xavier Rhodes, right, continuing to get burnt. Like, what are we really missing out on? So whether it was opt-outs, injuries, or whatever, give some of the new guys a year here under Zimmer, and I believe that he can build that defense back up to be a sort of top 10, top half of the league type of a defense. And with that offense, they can both run the ball and throw the ball, and that beat the Packers in Lambeau towards the end of the season last year, there's no reason why they can't take two games from the Packers, right? That early, I believe it was literally week one, if not week two, total shootout type game where I think both teams scored 30 points. I think believe Green Bay got out to a big lead and Minnesota, you know, came back because it was desperation mode, never got that close, but it was a you know high scoring type game. And I think that game's probably a lot different this year. We talked a lot last year about the idea of like the reverse home home field advantage. These teams that are used to having a really good home field advantage coming in and all of a sudden, you know, it's Sunday game day, let's go, let's go. And you walk out and there's no skull chant, for example, right? There's no like crazy fan base. Doesn't really affect a team like the Chargers, for example, but for places like Minnesota where you're expecting really big things from the crowd that does have some element of effect on just your general energy level right obviously probably helps a little the defense if the crowd's going crazy on third down right these are the things it's not a secret or it's not it shouldn't be a surprise that road teams did the best they ever have last season than they had before so when I look at Minnesota, I go, okay, there's a lot of reasons to like this team going forward. I still think the head coach is really good. I think he's a guy who can get everything he can out of his team. I think the defense is going to be improved. I think the scenario, the situations are going to be improved. The schedule is a lot better in that they're not playing a you know a first place division schedule, which of course they had been the last couple of years. Um, you know, prior, obviously, you know the crazy Case Keenum season with the Minneapolis Miracle and the, and you know, this, that, or whatever. Who else in that division? Well, you know, as much as I was looking to fade the Bears, I'd be, you know, I came across just the very basic idea of, wait a minute here, they actually haven't been that bad the last three seasons. And the reason we've sort of um, hated on the Bears, if you will, is because Mitch Trubisky was hard to watch play quarterback. It wasn't because of Nagy, even though the BU thing on his play sheet was annoying. It certainly wasn't the defense. Obviously, they had some massive injuries, especially in the mid-defensive line last year, from the defensive standpoint. And so, like, they ended up making the playoffs last year, which, like, I needed to be reminded of this year. I'm like, yeah, the Bears were in a playoff game. It was that, like brutal like throw it on i believe it was the first game of this you know the very first wild card six game weekend type thing it was like okay we're gonna throw you saints and bears to start off get that thing out of the way but they were in the playoffs they were actually in the playoffs and so i have to sort of go okay 
whether it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, and again, same thing with Chicago. If they start with Andy Dalton and they're doing well, there's no real reason to go to Fields. And if they go to Fields, or if Dalton gets hurt, at least they have Fields. And so I sit and I go, okay, like, maybe this team actually ends up being okay. Now, they got worked over pretty good by the Packers last season. I believe they lost, if I'm not mistaken, both games to the Vikings last season. They have to obviously make up ground on those two teams. And they certainly need to do better than getting basically swept by those two teams. But if they've got the defense back, and if they have functional quarterbacking, where we're not all just sitting around watching Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky and going like, how can we possibly bet on this team? Because we bet on the Bears a bunch last year, and we did so relatively relatively successfully. They beat the Bucks. Like that's pretty good. They covered against the Saints, went to overtime with them. So we go down the list, and then it's Detroit. Well, we know what we're going to get from Detroit, and it's only looked. I mean, listen, some one preseason game here, but they're booing Dan Campbell already. Obviously, this podcast is never going to like the idea of we're going to bite their kneecaps and we're going to push them around and like that sort of thing. We don't like Jared Goff. We certainly don't like Anthony Lynn. So what's to like? If you don't like the quarterback, you don't like the coaches. How bad is it going to get? And that's going to be the question we have to ask ourselves throughout this season. We have to ask ourselves that in week one. San Francisco is going to be minus seven and a half, minus eight on the road against Detroit. I already told you I like San Francisco. I'm telling you right now, I hate Detroit. But everybody should know that. Everybody should, you know, that's factored into a minus seven and a half, minus eight point, um, you know, home underdog here. Is this going to be like that late season game against Tampa Bay? I believe it's like a Christmas weekend type thing, Saturday game, where it's like the line just shoots up higher and higher and higher. And was it Stafford goes out in the first drive, and of course at that point the game was over, and they end up losing by a billion points to the Bucks. This is going to be the same situation. It very well could be. This team is going to be awful, but the market already knows that. And so the question, of course, is: Is the market ready to encapsulate how bad Detroit is going to be? As for bad, as for an entire division, the NFC East, Dallas, Washington, the Giants, and Philadelphia. Which one of these teams? Do you like? Because at first I'm looking at Dallas and I'm going, listen, we liked Dallas a lot last year. We liked Dallas a ton at the start of the year. And what really changed from back then to now? Well, what happened was offensive line injuries and Dak gets hurt and it just goes to hell in a handbasket because they've got literal randoms off of the street playing quarterback for them. And so as of a couple of weeks ago, you go, okay, well, Dak's back. Okay, total new defense basically from a personnel standpoint by and large you know obviously a top pick devoted to that defense a new defensive coordinator even though it's dan quinn who literally fired himself from the falcons at one point two years ago then again i think he did it again i think he did it twice in a row and so you go okay okay if the defense can be better the offense wasn't an issue when dak was healthy so why wouldn't that be something that we would be interested in? I mean, yes, Mike McCarthy is probably going to do a bunch of dumb stuff. and we, you know, But if we go through the list of NFL head coaches looking to do dumb stuff from a game management standpoint, they're all over the place. So it's almost like you know, if we can find one or two that can figure this stuff out, which Shanahan is co- sort of one of those guys, you know, keep kind of going back to him. 
But if we can find the two or three guys who know what they're doing here, that you know, we have to move those people up in our ratings, those teams up in our ratings. But it also kind of means that we can't knock teams down that far if their coach is an idiot, because everybody's coach is an idiot. So, you know, how badly can we penalize Dallas in this situation? So that's that's where my head was at with regards to this team. And, of course, then you get the pictures, and Zeke's in great shape, and, like, maybe he's not going to fumble the ball. Remember when he's fumbling the ball twice a game? That was a real treat for anybody who was backing the Cowboys. So you go, okay, here we go. And then Dak, the shoulder, he's getting MRIs. They're tweeting about it. He's seeing every doctor for every sports league. You can imagine if there was a Rangers, he was probably going to ask their doctor about something. New York, Texas. Glasgow, Kitchener. And so we're looking at Dak and going, like, are we going to do this again? Are we going to do this again with the Cowboys and, and a backup quarterback? And the offensive line's a year older and a, and a you know, year more banged up, right? Anytime anybody goes under the knife, right? Like, they're never going to be at that 100% level again. So we look at it and we go, okay, is there another team in this division that we can find? Well, people start talking about the Washington football team. And it's going to be a while before I stop seeing people write WFT and think they're saying WTF. That's just, that's just, we can just admit that that's going to be an issue for a long time. In the same way that people are still calling the Chargers San Diego, I'm still going to look at it and see a little dyslexia, a little WFT that reads what the F. But the what the F situation here for the Washington football team here is everybody's just excitement over Ryan Fitzpatrick as if he's not on his 12th team here or whatever double digit number team that he's on here. As if that for every good game that he has or game that he pulls off some sort of late comeback, there's a game where he throws his team clear out of the game. And it's very easy to go, oh, Washington with that defense, like they, 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 they can do this, they can do that, they can keep them in games, blah, 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 blah. Well, the last we saw Washington, Tampa was throwing, you know, throwing them down for 30 plus points and probably could have and should have had more. So yeah, the defense is going to look good against Ben DiNucci or Andy Dalton for the Cowboys. It's going to look pretty good against confused Carson Wentz. It's going to look pretty good against Daniel Jones even though the Giants beat them twice last year, again. So how excited am I supposed to get about this, like, Washington defense carrying them, you know, a certain distance? When when was the last time, what year, or how many years has it been since the defense just said, you know what, bad quarterback or dicey quarterback or quarterback that's turning the ball over a lot and, and giving the other team short fields, you know, don't worry, we got this. That's not the NFL anymore. We're talking about a, a, a league that's scoring 50 points per game here on average. This isn't the 37.5 point totals that we had when it was, you know, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens in the early 2000s. So I'm not relying on the Washington football team defense to make up for some of this stuff. Do I think they're going to be okay? Sure. I think it's going to be a very middle-of-the-pack type team. And in the NFC East, that might be good enough. But what if things go awry here for Fitzpatrick? What if he gets hurt? Taylor Heineke came in and was everybody's favorite. Ended up covering by a half point, I believe, last year in the playoffs. We liked that. Covered the tees. Plus 14 and a half, plus 15 and a half, something like that. 
That was great. But the ceiling on this team is really, really low. The floor might be really high, but the ceiling's certainly really low. But the good news is, what do they have left, right? They've got the Giants and the Eagles in this division. So we've got Dak in a mangled shoulder, and then the Giants here with Daniel Jones. Now, I'm maybe a little bit higher on the Giants than most people are. Because I actually like the Kenny Galladay signing. Again, this is a, you know, he's part of the if he can stay healthy family, where everybody gets adopted. Kenny Galladay, if he can still ha- if he can stay healthy. He's brother of Dak Prescott, if he can still healthy stay healthy. But, you know, Saquon Barkley, obviously, you know, honorary member of the family, not able to stay healthy last year, but there's no reason to think that he wouldn't be healthy this season so you're getting Kenny Galladay you're getting Saquon Barkley like now we're talking as far as weaponry is concerned everybody kind of takes their step to the right and you know the number one receiver becomes the number two and the two becomes the number three the you know running back that should only be getting five carries no longer is expected to get 15 carries that's great news and the defense played really well I thought last year and maybe Joe Judge is just one of these guys like Patricia and Matt Patricia for Detroit where it's a lot of bluster and a lot of like New England you know gobbledygook and voodoo and whatever and maybe he's just not a head coach but it looked okay last year for a team that didn't have much in the way of talent put it together defensively okay team that beat Washington twice a team, you know, the Washington football team that won the division. They beat them twice. So I actually kind of like the Giants more than most. And maybe I'm walking into a Daniel Jones disaster trap. But if that's the case, that's fine. Because the other team's the Philadelphia Eagles here. Now, from what we understand or, or what it sort of seems, if you're reading the tea leaves here, is that it seems like they actually have a trade for Deshaun Watson that is obviously contingent on what sort of suspension Deshaun Watson is going to get. So it's hard to sort of say, okay, like I'm going to talk about the Eagles here within the context of Jalen Hurts and him being the quarterback and him running around and him being a guy who's not going to turn the ball over. There might be a few more, you know, three and outs, but I think there's going to be a lot more extend it with your leg types of plays for Jalen Hurts. And I think the offense is just maybe not be as pretty as it was when it could absolutely hum a few years back, but I think it's going to be more effective without Carson Wentz making bad decisions back there. I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to make those decisions. He might know his limitations better than most guys. So there's reason to sort of like the Philadelphia offense, but otherwise, there's not really all that much to like. A lot of names, a lot of guys you've heard of, but a lot of guys who were in their prime when they won the Super Bowl, you know what, four years ago now. It's not exactly an ideal situation here if you're looking to get teams off the field to let your second-year quarterback go. Now again, if the situation is Deshaun Watson gets suspended for eight games and the Eagles go, okay, that's cool, we'll trade for him, then that's obviously a way different situation because Deshaun Watson can drag you to victory. He is that good. I think he's that good. So we'll have to take a bit of a wait and see approach here, right? We need some sort of discipline here on Watson. We need to find out whether or not he's going to jail. We need to find out a lot of different stuff here. And unfortunately for the Eagles, that's might affect, you know, how we're supposed to, uh, you know, portray them in this NFC East. So as for the AFC, AFC West, 
uh, I think is a little bit more interesting than maybe most people think. Kansas City, I think, takes a half a step back. And when I say a half step back, like, keep in mind the context here, right? Last year, every single week, they would not cover by about a half a point, right? So when we look at whether it's college football, basketball, NFL football, like we look at these teams and we talk about the tax, right? If you want to bet on this team, if you want to bet on San Francisco in week one, or more sort of appropriately, if you want to bet against Detroit week one, you have to pay the tax. You have to know going in that this number probably should be six and a half or seven, and instead it's going to be eight and a half. And you have to pay a point and a half or two in tax in order to do it because the books know that they're going to be fine. They're going to get Kansas City Chief money. And they got Kansas City Chief money every time last year. And Kansas City would win that seven and a half point spread. They would win that game by seven. They would win the four and a half point spread. They would win it by three. Right? Over and over and over in the last half of the season. Come playoff time against the Browns. Right? Browns cover. Bills get out to an early lead. Kansas probably could have backdoor covered that if their coach hadn't just started kicking field goals in ridiculous and ridiculous times. The point is, is okay, we already know. We already know that the tax is there. We already know that every time it's going to be a point and a half. I'll tell you right now, week one, I'm looking at their spread right now, six. My numbers say four and a half. Does that mean that game's going to land on five? That'd be a sort of an unusual place to land. But if that goes up to six and a half, now we're opening up sixes, right? The game lands six for Kansas City. The Browns backers win. So I look at that and I go, okay, like we've already seen a full season of them being a little bit overrated for us having to pay this tax. So now I go, okay, what's happened since then? Well, the offensive lines had to be redone. Defense has gotten a year older, was never really that good in the first place. But we know Patrick Mahomes is awesome, right? He is, you know, he is the weapon, right? We look and we're like, okay, what are, what are the weapons he's got? Obviously, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, unstoppable duo there running around in the secondary. Well, that was the case last year when they were one point short every week of covering these spreads, right? The defense would let teams back in the game to the degree that a three and a half point spread would get covered when Kansas City would win by three. So I look at it and I go, okay, this team's not any different. They might be a little bit worse, at least from a support standpoint for Mahomes. So we go, okay, who's going to challenge them? Well, if only there were a team that was in every game for the last two years who had been in the playoffs the year before that, but everybody agreed. Every Monday, Sheldon and I would come on the podcast and say, can you believe what this guy did yesterday? And that, of course, is the Los Angeles Chargers and that guy being Anthony Lynn. How do we measure... Anthony Lynn leaving or getting booted out the door and how do we measure the impact of somebody who might know what they're doing now do we know that Brandon Staley knows what he's doing I think we kind of think he might we don't know but if we base that on his interviews and the stuff that he's talked about with regards to his use of analytics and his general coaching success here obviously with the Rams last year we okay this guy might be a plus but how much of a plus, right? If Anthony Lynn is a minus and Brandon Staley is a plus, okay, well, is it minus one plus one? Is it minus two plus two? Minus three plus three? Some sort of combination therein? How many points 
should Staley matter to a point spread relative to Anthony Lynn? The number could be a lot. It could be like 14. <laughs> it could be. We don't know, but it could be, and it's probably not going to be the same. It's going to be better. So why wouldn't we bet with the idea of it being better? Of it being potentially better than most people think. Maybe it's it might be the biggest upgrade in the history of the NFL, as far as we know. If Anthony Lynn was one of the worst coaches, Brandon Staley might be really good. We don't know. And so I'm going to take that approach with the Chargers. I don't really want to bet the Chargers over eight and a half on their win total. But I'm going to be coming at them for a AFC championship. I'm going to be coming at them for an AFC West division bet. Because if you're trying to tell me that the Chargers are about as good as Denver, I'm just not here for that. I've seen the works of Vic Fangio. I know what Teddy Bridgewater is capable of. A lot of covers while an underdog. I've seen Drew Locke's work. You know, people telling us about Jerry Judy. How many times did he drop a ball last year? I can't watch that again. We're going to have to. So if you're telling me that these two teams are the same, I just don't buy that. And we had that big adjustment, right? Remember Aaron Rodgers was going to be on the Denver Broncos? And everybody just plowed money into that around draft time. So they tied money up four months before the season started. Four to five months before the season started. They tied money up for a bet that wasn't going to be... Uh, you know, there wasn't going to be a result for it for eight to ten months. And then the thing that they bet on, the key element to that bet, never even happened. And so now they're sitting there with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater and Vic Fangio with his fanny pack. Does that sound like a bet that you should have made? So when I sit around and I talk about, like, why are we doing NFL previews in July? Why are we doing NFL previews at the start of August? And if it wasn't for the fact that this being the last podcast, I wouldn't have even done this podcast now. Because there's probably going to be three injuries that happen in the next two weeks that are going to make us feel like idiots for betting this, that, or whatever. The point is, is, like, I think there's two pretty significant tiers in the AFC West. Because I don't think the Raiders are going to be very good. The Raiders are going to be what the Raiders are. Like, it's John Gruden. It's Derek Carr. Like, what else do you want from just a consistency standpoint? They might have a pretty good start to the season, but it's going to fade down the stretch, right? The good news is, is we probably have 10 years of John Gruden doing the exact same thing. And whether Derek Carr is the quarterback or whether he bails on him this year for some other duplicate, right? He needed an all-time type of a team from a defensive standpoint. Keep in mind, John Gruden's an offensive guy. From a defensive standpoint with Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl when he went to that Super Bowl, right? Tony Dungy builds that team up from a defensive standpoint. Dungy, a defensive guy, can never get it over the hump because the offense never gets it figured out. And then the offense come gets it figured out because Gruden goes, all right, I want a veteran quarterback, and we're going to just keep this as basic as possible here. You know, we're going to have, you know, okay skill position players. And they go and they win the Super Bowl. Helps, of course, that they're facing a team that he literally coached right before. But all in all, that's 17, 18 years ago now. And what has John Gruden done since? Obviously a really bizarre stint as Monday Night Football. But the good news is we get him for a 10-year contract, and we know what we're getting here with the Raiders, right? Defense isn't going to get any better. 
Why would the defense get any better? The offense is going to be okay. You're going to be sitting there watching games and going like, man, Darren Waller's got 11 catches in the third quarter. This guy's nasty. But, like, who else is out there doing stuff? Kenyon Drake? Uh, I don't think so. They're going to have run Josh Jacobs into the ground here within the next couple of years. No thanks on the Raiders. So the point is there's two distinct tiers. So the key here is when there's two distinct tiers like this, where there's two good teams and two teams I don't think are very good, and one team is drastically favored, right? We talked about the NFC South, and we go, okay, Tampa Bay, heavily favored. Who's going to be that team to join them in that top tier? And we look around, and there just kind of doesn't seem to be one. And that's, to me, the case for betting on the favorite in that division. When you have a situation here where there's a team that's a clear favorite, but there might be a team that should join them in that second tier, a team that has taken them to overtime or to the last second in basically every game, every matchup that they've had over the last three years. And while Kansas City has had the postseason success and the Chargers haven't because A, they either didn't make the postseason because of Anthony Lynn or they made the postseason and they lost a game because of Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn's gone. So now we've got a new coach, a quarterback in his second year who was nothing but impressive as a rookie. And a ton of skill position guys out there that he can utilize. Austin Eckler, you know, a guy who, not necessarily the biggest name in the, in the books, but a guy who missed a ton of time last year. And if we can get him catching passes from Herbert, it's going to be really good from an offensive standpoint. And considering how obvious and predictable things were for the Chargers last year on offense, you can talk obviously about the health of guys like Derwin James coming back and maybe Joey Bosa is going to actually play every single snap or every single game and not have you know sort of issues in and out of the lineup. Other guys on the corner, Asante Samuel Jr. is apparently looking like he's going to be a thing. Offensive line completely rebuild would be remiss if I hadn't talked about Corey Lindsley coming from the Packers to the Chargers. Like this is a team that if you're sitting there going like, man, didn't see that one coming, or it wasn't that you know, who's the surprise team? Like we beat the NFL into a into a pulp here from an analyzation standpoint, right? Where it's like, okay, then who's going to be this surprise team? And yet we're always somehow surprised. Right? There's only 32 teams, and yet we still manage to be surprised every year that the Ravens are really good two years ago. Right? We're still you know, somehow surprised that it worked so well in Tampa yesterday. Something, or last year, I should say. You know, it shouldn't work that well. Well, it did. Getting rid of Anthony Lynn and a second year of Justin Herbert and some of these other additions that this team has made shouldn't jump them ahead of Kansas City. But why Why not? Just because Patrick Mahomes exists? Like, yeah, he's awesome. But awesome quarterbacks have finished second in their division. I haven't even mentioned maybe there's a chance that he gets hurt. We've seen it a couple of different times over the last two years. He hasn't been in the league that long. But you can close your eyes and picture Patrick Mahomes limping, can't you? So, I mean, like, that's an element. Obviously, that's just as much of an element for him as it is for Herbert, for the Chargers, or any other quarterback. But when we're talking about a team that has a pretty big gap in between where their odds are 
for the division, for example, and one team we don't know that much about and the other team we know a ton about, I think there's going to be some opportunities there. Let's move along to the AFC South here. And we've got two tiers. That's something. But again, these two tiers are priced the same, right? Houston uh, and Jacksonville, obviously in the bottom portion of the program. Jacksonville inching their way up through the offseason, right? The sort of sneaky team that we're probably all jumping the gun here, but people are all, oh, Jacksonville, look out Jacksonville, because nobody's psyched about betting the Colts. And for the millionth straight year, it doesn't matter how high-octane the offense is. And there was so much excitement for the Titans, right, when they got Julio Jones. Like, look out. Here we go. Take my mortgage payment. You can have it, Tennessee. It's all yours. And then that sort of dwindled. Now people are looking around going, hmm, maybe Jacksonville can put it together. Or, oh, look out for the Colts. Maybe Carson Wentz. Maybe that's a guy we want to rely on. Takes him five seconds to get hurt. Now, he may be back for the first week. But again, whether it's football, sports, or life, people are going to show you who they are. If you give them enough opportunity, they're going to show you who they are. And so Sam Darnold has shown us that he's a turnover machine. And Carson Wentz has shown us that he struggles to make rational decisions with the football. And some of the throws are going to look really good. And some of the escape moves are going to look really good. But when it's a Thursday night against the Giants, and he's rolling around to his right, and he stops, and he fires clear across his body, clear across the field, 10 yards down the gridiron field, but 30 yards of a throw... And you don't even see the receiver in that area. So you just assume that there's a guy who is wide open and the coverage left and it's going to be an easy catch. And then all of a sudden the receiver comes into screen and he is absolutely draped by a defender. And you think to yourself, what on earth could Carson Wentz possibly possibly have been thinking in that situation? You have to take that and cement that in your memory as something that this guy is capable of under pressure. This is a decision that this guy is capable of making. So it doesn't matter what your arm strength is. It doesn't matter what your escapability is in this situation. You are willing to make atrocious decisions and potentially give the ball to the other team and wipe out whatever sort of metric success that you may have had accumulated on your last drive or last two drives or three drives or whatever and so he goes to the colts and it's going to be great because frank reich is there and that's how things worked back when he you know he was at his best and yada 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 maybe maybe all that stuff's true maybe all that stuff's true and the roster it's a good roster right the best parts of the roster are sort of in weird positions like defensive tackle middle linebacker guard all of these positions that we're all sort of sitting around going like, nobody really spends all that much on that. Running back, Jonathan Taylor, right? Might be good, didn't look it for the first five weeks last year, ended up playing pretty well. First round pick, I believe, maybe second if I'm not mistaken. But a running back, like was it not going to be fine? Was There's a bunch of other guys who was going to be fine in that position. So the roster's built in this sort of strange way where like it's really high end, but at sort of low-end positions. And that's why it hasn't quite worked here 
since Andrew Luck left. Of course, Andrew Luck left right at the time where the roster got better. And so whether it's Carson Wentz or Jacob Eason, a guy who should have all the talent in the world, Jacob Eason was more thought, you know, sought after or thought of coming out of high school than Carson Wentz was going to North Dakota State. Jacob Eason went to Georgia. Maybe he's good. Sam Ellinger, he's going to be like a homeless man's version of Jalen Hurts, just running the football, but instead of running by anybody and through anybody, he's going to just run into people and then drag them a few yards. We saw that for four years at Texas. Thought I never had to see Sam Ellinger again, by the way. Apparently he's an NFL-level quarterback. We'll see if he makes that team. But the point is, is like, I'm still not ready to trust Carson Wentz, and I don't think anybody else is. And that's why people are starting to talk themselves into Jacksonville as this long shot. And that makes sense if they're 11-1, to 1, the way they were a few months ago. But now we're talking the 7-1, to 6-1 to 1 range here. And then we go, okay, like, the ship has clearly sailed, and maybe that's probably a good thing here. And a team like Jacksonville, if you really like that team, and if you're going to bet them to do stuff because you're going to like them at the start of the season, right? Maybe the schedule is pretty soft. Obviously, they start with Houston. Let's just bet the games. Can we just bet the games? Do we have to bet season win totals? Because, by the way, as much as I, you know, we talk about season win totals, and we'll talk some college season win totals here in a second, but, like, season win total is just a version of a game bet, only it's happening 17 times. You have to wait four four and a half months to get paid but like we're still talking about minus 110 on either side here so you know i'm not going to reference win totals and say like oh we need to be betting out some win totals here so we can just sit in the middle of january and get paid out for a five and three you know win total record or like oh sick we went eight and four it's like okay i mean you waited a while for three and a half units but cool you know, but if we can look at these teams and frame them as, okay, well, why do I like Jacksonville's win total? Because they're going to have a soft schedule to start. Okay, well, guess what? I can bet on Jacksonville to start the season. And while they're going to be a favorite here, probably against Houston to start the year, they certainly are now. I just say probably as in if Deshaun Watson suddenly gets cleared and he's playing a game in the first game, then they will no longer, you know, Houston's probably going to be at least a pick in that game. The point is, is like, I can take that information. I can bet on the Jags in the first three or four weeks. The market's not going to all of a sudden become uh, attracted to the Jags. We're not all going to get Jags boners here just because they beat the Texans. So if you like the Jags that much to actually start winning games outright here, you're probably going to like them when they're underdogs in week two, week three, et cetera, et cetera. That way we can win a couple of bets probably along the way and we can get paid this month instead of six months from now you go to houston obviously for the same stuff that we talked about with regards to philadelphia all right do we really believe deshaun watson's ever going to play for this team again probably not right tyrod taylor's the backup quarterback probably going to be their starting quarterback probably going to be a team that's going to finish last in the league the market knows this the market knows this and has made them prohibitive favorites to be the worst team in the league but Tyrod Taylor is just good enough to get you wins, right? You've got your quarterbacks who are just good enough to get you beat. Tyrod Taylor is just good enough to get you beat when you're trying to lose. He is just good enough to have this team go 4-13. and 13 Because maybe they got Jacksonville once. 
Maybe they got one of the other teams in their division once. Maybe they got the worst team in the division, you know, the matchup division that they're playing. Whatever. He is good enough to win a couple of games for you. Which probably isn't what Houston will want. But here's the thing. Houston doesn't have their first pick. Because they've been giving away first round picks for as long as, you know, time can time can remember. So they don't have a reason to lose games. And in the NFL, we saw it last year with Jacksonville. The reason people like Jacksonville a little bit this year is because they weren't 1-15 last year. They were, but they weren't a 1-15 level talent type of a team. There was a couple real tankos in that last cup, that last month or so, and some games that went awry towards the end. So you look at those two teams and you go, okay, it's a pretty similar situation, except for Houston doesn't have the motivation to tank. They don't. So why would they? So it kind of leaves open the possibility of them winning four games, which of course leads open to the possibility of another team that only wins three, finishing with the worst record in the league. I don't think there's going to be a one and seventeen team this year. Excuse me, one and sixteen team this year because of that motivation to not finish dead last that Houston has. Now, that franchise might as well just fold, right? They're not going to be good for at least a decade. And somewhere along the line here, once they get first-round picks again, they're going to want to finish dead last. It's just not this season. So Jacksonville comes off a 1-15 you know, season, and we all sort of go, okay, new coach, obviously new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence can make all the throws, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be better, but is he going to be good enough to drag that team into contention with Tennessee and Indianapolis? That's the big question there. AFC North, speaking of dragging teams into contention, is Joe Burrow going to be able to do that for Cincinnati, right? Same sort of deal one year later. Bad news is he seems to be seeing the ghosts. The knee injury scarred him a little bit, not just in the physical sense, but in the mental sense as well. And so we look at that and we go, okay, this is a team that we're thinking might actually get into the mix here as far as doing some contending and all of that other stuff doesn't necessarily now look like that's a team that we want to be backing early on in the season as you know in the first week we were like oh maybe against minnesota three and a half point you know home underdogs like that might be something we're gonna have to keep an eye on mr bro here for the next couple weeks assuming he even gets any action and if he doesn't isn't that a little bit telling as well from a preseason standpoint um cleveland baltimore pittsburgh Right? You've got all these teams that are sort of sort of ships passing in the night in a weird way, right? Like it's almost like a you know, a rowing race, you know, just off of a ton of Olympic stuff. Hope you enjoyed all of that, by the way. Shout out Canada over four and a half gold medals. What's up? Um you know, but you've got like, okay, Pittsburgh, and then like they get out to an eleven oh start, but like they start getting caught by Cleveland, but not all the way. So like Pittsburgh still won the division last year and bring, you know, a lot of those pieces back and they you know, but then they burn a first round pick on a running back and we're all like, Okay, Pittsburgh's idiots, Tomlin's punting uh, against Cleveland, which was just the dumbest thing we saw all playoffs and all of the dumb stuff that we saw, that was the dumbest. And he's punting you, okay, well, okay, clearly Tomlin's just an absolute puss. Uh, Roethlisberger, you know, 
year older. We don't even know if he can throw the ball 20 yards. Is this going to be Drew Brees, right? Is this a Drew Brees situation? Because these guys don't just leave. Like, it's a weird example, but look at Roger Federer. The guy's getting knee surgery, missing the U.S. Open. He's 40 years old, but he's like, I'm getting the knee surgery so that I can compete. Next year? What? For what? The Australian Open? 41-year-old Roger Federer off knee surgery is going to win the US, uh, win the Australian Open? Or when? The the French Open in in May? Or is, he, or is he rallying up for Wimbledon in June? Same sort of thing with these quarterbacks, right? They, they refuse to, li- to leave the game. Because you know what? Being the quarterback of an NFL team is probably pretty sick. So why would I want to go anywhere when I can just do this? Because if I leave, it's not like I come back. I can come back, right? I could quit golf for a summer. I would never do it. But I could come back the next summer, and I'd probably be just as good or bad, depending on how you look at it. Same thing here with these quarterbacks. They're not going anywhere if they don't have to. And if you're not telling Ben Roethlisberger to leave, he's not going anywhere. If you don't have a plan behind Ben Roethlisberger, he's not going anywhere. So he stays. What do you think? Which team are you going to get? Are you going to get the 11-0 version of that team, or are you going to get the team that finished, what, 2-3, and 1-4, and four, something along those lines, and hung on to the division title? And of course, that means that we all like Cleveland, right? We've been dying, dying for Cleveland to be good. Now that they are, everybody is all about it. Okay, I guess Baker Mayfield's still not totally sold, going to be completely honest. They kind of went as good as it could possibly go for them in the playoffs last year, right? You had obviously, like, literally couldn't have gone any better against Pittsburgh to start the playoffs. Right, they're up twenty-one nothing before I even realized the game was had started, and then they have it kind of go perfectly for them against Kansas City, where it was like they were in the game just enough that makes you believe like this might be the year, but like they still didn't really come all that close to necessarily winning the game. Like they had a chance to drive, couldn't do it. And so now the market all looks at this team and they go, okay, like this is, you know, this is sort of the next up type of a team here with the Buffaloes and obviously Kansas Cities and whatnot because of last year's season. But the market's adjusted to it. So what am I supposed to do with that? I'm supposed to go over the number that's already pretty high in a division that does have a functional Steelers team. Should they probably be rebuilding? No, but they're still functional. They are the Saints of last year, right? Like, they could be a playoff team. They could even theoretically win the division. Meanwhile, I'm not even sure the Browns are the best team between them and Baltimore. Baltimore things got weird last year. COVID things happening left, right, and center. If that doesn't go down, how much does that change the season? Maybe Baltimore ends up winning the division instead of having to go to Buffalo. What if Lamar doesn't get hurt? Keep in mind the last we saw the Baltimore Ravens, right? Tyler Hundley was driving, quote-unquote, driving Baltimore down the field. Right? Lamar threw that pick six when if he hadn't thrown the ball, he probably can just run the ball in. It's Lamar Jackson, for God's sakes. So you see how, like, the last thing we see from Baltimore is kind of this real bummer here situation 
But the best, the last thing that we see for Cleveland is kind of a best case scenario. Them sort of going punch for punch, if you will, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So you sort of forget about Baltimore. Team's probably going to run the ball absolutely down your throat. They're probably going to do that on Monday Night Football, and it is going to take us basically a weekend, 24 hours, 48 hours, however you want to frame it, to go, oh, damn, Baltimore real good. Like, forgot, forgot that they work over bad teams. And that's what you get with them in the first uh, game of the season. So when you're sitting there doing that, like, do you really want to have a Cleveland Browns ticket when you find out that Baltimore is still Baltimore? Do you want a Steelers ticket? No. Do I want a Bengals ticket knowing that, like, Burrow's still seeing ghosts? No. So there's a lot going on with that division. And, like, we could get ourselves to a point here where Baltimore actually has some value, but there's enough competition in there that that makes that sort of a tough call. Finally, AFC East. Buffalo, clearly the favorite. Makes a ton of sense, right? Team that's only going to get better. Offense is cooking. Defense is pretty good. Again, both things, you know, continuity, so key in the NFL, and that's what you get from Buffalo. But we know that, right? Again, the market, they were in the, what, AFC championship game last year. So, you're not, you know, nobody's going like, oh, can't believe Buffalo's good. It's like, yeah, Buffalo's good. Of course they're good. We're not going to, you're not going to get Josh Allen for a buck in your fantasy football league. That's what I did last year. Won the league. We got to now find another Josh Allen. That's what we have to do. Right? And where they're talking fantasy football, we're supposed to do a fantasy football episode. But again, kind of like, what's the point of that now? But, you know, that's kind of one of these deals where it's like, okay, whether it's a quarterback that you need for a dollar. And whether that was four years ago, Lamar Jackson. You know, five years ago, Patrick Mahomes. I might be getting the years wrong here, but whatever. Um, you know, last year, Josh Allen. There'll be a guy this year, somebody gets for a buck, two bucks in their auction. By the way, I got quick rant here did a little on twitter a couple weeks ago i don't know who i followed i don't know who i interacted with that now has twitter just sending me like you know they give you the recommendations or whatever or there's tweets that like i'm not following this person but you keep showing me their tweets or or a, a topic if you will i keep getting fantasy football stuff and people talking about average draft position and drafting their league and like, oh, this guy had a game, so now he's up to you know three point five in his average draft draft position, or this like whatever league it's called that people are like all in. I forget what it's called, the fishbowl or something like that. And it's like you guys are all drafting. You're doing it in July and you're doing it um, with like an actual like draft. Um, can you grow up and and auction your players? Let's get it. Let's get auctions going here, guys. Like you're better than this. It's like checkers versus chess at this point. And you guys are all playing checkers and the chess game is an auction. I know it sucks because from a content standpoint, like nobody can talk about like, well, I got this guy for 58 bucks. And you're like, I don't know. Is that good? It's like, well, this guy fell and oh, I got him for 12. And like his average price is like 18. It's like, I get that. That's not the same thing as like, we're all doing the same draft. Right? We're all the same people are going, the same players are going number one, two, and three. You know, we're all trying to figure out where Travis Kelsey is supposed to go. Like, that's perfect for content, 
but it's not the best way to draft a fantasy football team. It's most not it's not the most legit way to draft a fantasy football team. So if you're gonna come and, and like be tweeting about fantasy football, like I need you to be in auctions if I'm gonna take you seriously here when you're evaluating players. Because otherwise, like we're all just doing the same draft over and over and over again. Anyway, rant over. Um, back to the Bills. Bills are really good. What do you want me to say? I think the interesting thing here is who's going to be the second best team in that division. And given the rest of the AFC, the second best team in that division might probably should be in the playoffs, especially with the three wild card system. And that's obviously Miami or New England. It's funny, you listen to different content and some people are really high on the Patriots and like, oh, they're getting a bunch of guys back, you know, um, two different quarterback options. So if Cam Newton sucks, like we don't have a Brian Hoyer experience that we have to have to potentially deal with in our life um, this season. Like that's got to be a good thing. Um, obviously, a lot of the defenders back, and you know, Bill's going to have that defense tightened up, and and blah 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 blah. You know, two tight end offense. Even though somehow Hunter Henry, not somehow Hunter Henry's always injured, but you know, somehow already Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith, who has his fair share of injury history. Um, both those guys are already banged up. So it's like, okay, are we really going to have this two tight ends situation of two quality tight ends, the best two tight ends they've had, um, you know, since uh, Gronkowski and the murderer? Maybe, you know, maybe all of that stuff. And then we get into Tua and the maybe that is Tua and all the excuses for why Tua wasn't particularly great last year. And then you go, okay, well, Tua is going to be better. But then you go, okay, how can the defense be better? Defense isn't going to be better because they got such a crazy high number of turnovers. What did we talk about turnovers? You know, for quarterbacks, you know, you don't want to be turning the ball over. If you're the defense, you certainly do want to be taking away. So they've got all these takeaways, but you can't replicate it's very hard to replicate takeaways from one season to another. And so how, you know, so the defense is probably going to take a step back just because of that. The offense is probably going to take a step forward because Tua has to be better, presumably. So again, what do we get out of all of this? And that's probably about a 9 to 10 win, right? 10-7 type of a team here with the Dolphins. And Patriots probably going to be about a 10 win team. So you see how like in this market, both of these things uh, are kind of congruent. Now, you go, okay, well, who's got the higher upside? Well, I think it's a lot easier for Tua to be really, really good and the defense to still be really good. Maybe not as many turnovers. So I think the higher upside is for Miami. So if you're going to make a kind of crazier bet, a AFC championship bet, even in, you know, AFC East division bet, I think you're more um, likely to win that with the Dolphins than you are the Patriots. Right? On the flip side, if I'm looking to bet an over, you know, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half type win total, I'm not going to do that with the Patriots because I think there's a better chance they just win nine games this year. Because even as bad as that team was, and that team stunk last year, their record wasn't as bad as their actual performance was on the field. So what are we left with? The Jets. And again, this is going to come down to Zach Wilson, right? Like how ready is he to go here? Do we know that much about Robert Sala? We don't. We know he's the guy throwing fist pumps in the air, like just chest bumping shoulder bumping guys he's big looks like he should have been on the field but no he's just coordinating defense and he gets that hub and listen he understands i get it he gets the gig because he knows where the camera is right he gets that gig because he's on tv and everybody knows his name for a couple of years right and you go big lights big city new york jets but what else do they really have on that team all right there's kind of not all that much it's certainly not going to be as bad is this going to be is this Adam Gase situation going to be the same sort of deal as Anthony Lynn? I don't know that Brandon, I think Brandon State is probably a better coach. 
than Salah, but I think Adam Case, pretty shitty. Pretty shitty coach. So I think it has to be better. How much better could it possibly be, though? We're talking about a team again, you know, 2-14, and 14, something like that last year. Maybe probably should have had a couple more wins. Patriots, Raiders game, that were just complete giveaways on their part. But again, is that because of Gase? Probably. So maybe this is a team that's looking at like five, six wins potentially. But again, that's right around where the market has them. So that's where I am with all 32 teams in the NFL. As for specific bets, of course, all of these will be peppered in your face through the Score app and obviously on the Twitter feed at MRussAuthentic. I, of course, will, as I always do, send you all of the links um, for anything that I write this season. So apologies for this being so long, but listen, it's my last chance to talk to you guys, uh, at least in sort of the turn it on, talk as long as you want type of a way um, until we sort of figure out things going forward. Um, so I did want to do a little college football as well, um, just to get some takes out there early um, before I get again into the nitty gritty of actually giving out, you know, talking about win totals, talking about futures, etc, etc. So the thing about win totals here, and I'll explain this, you know, further in a column, I think here in the next couple of weeks, again, the score app, wherever you find your apps, it's probably already on your phone, you probably look at it all the time. Um, win totals for college football, unlike the NFL, right? Like there is, think about the goals for a college football team. So first and foremost, there's five teams that can win this championship, right? So you got to have other goals. In the NFL, obviously there's not every team thinks that they can necessarily win the championship, but they at least have an opportunity to. Just talked about the Jets. Could the Jets win the Super Bowl? They could. I mean, in theory, like they're not going to be left out of the playoff if they go undefeated, for example. But the point is, is that if you're the Jets of college football, of which there are many, you have to come up with your own reason for living, <laughs> for reason for being. And one of those reasons is what? Well, what do we do every time December rolls around and we get the list of bowls? You go, God dang, there's a lot of bowls, right? Oh my God. Barstool has a bowl now. Are my brothers over at Barstool, apparently, my stepbrothers over at Barstool have the Arizona Bowl that they're sponsoring. Is it a first-rate bowl? No. Is it a second-rate bowl? No. Is it a third-rate bowl? Maybe. Point is, is when you're a college football team, you are just trying to become bowl eligible unless you are like five teams, right? You have a couple of goals. Goal number one is beat our rival. Goal number two is make a bowl game. Now, the beat your rival thing's probably happening in the last game. That's your chance to beat your rival. In most cases, it's the last game of the regular season. And you don't really want to go into that game needing to beat them to secure a bowl. So what happens is, is these teams schedule to try to get themselves to six wins. All right? Six wins means you're bowl eligible means you're going to get into a bowl so you get the party you get the you know trip at the end of the year all right whether you're in high school or college you want to have that carrot dangling that trip at the end of the year so it doesn't really matter if you win six games or seven games or eight games right you're gonna need to win like 11 games to make your conference championship maybe one or two less depending on your conference which of course would be the third goal and the fourth goal is to make the playoff now that fourth goal doesn't ever come up for 
85 to 90 percent of the teams and again only five of them really have an opportunity to do so there's usually one team that randomly pops up we'll talk about that a little bit here in a second so why does well you know what difference does it make to us here well because there's a thing called bowl eligibility and that you need to get to six wins that creates a goal right for we just talked about nfl and you know, eight and a half win total seven and a half win total ten and a half win total the win total doesn't matter the standings are what matter right you could be the washington football team win eight games boom home playoff game you could be the los angeles chargers and you could win 13 games sorry kansas city won 14 you're on the road in the for the first week against you know the ravens or something right sucks with college football they don't even really care do you need to win the bowl game not necessarily just want to be there looks like it'll be a really great time we'll see whether we care once we get there so when we're talking win totals you could do worse than literally just going and seeing all the five and a half win totals and just bet them over because you know that one the schedule is already going to be built so that they can get to six and maybe not even more than that and the thing is, when we're talking about handicapping these these totals, like the people who built them, they've already looked at the schedule, right? Like they know why this team should be a five and a half win total, why this team should be a three and a half, why this team should be a seven and a half. So it isn't as simple as like, well, they're three and a half. They're going to try to get to six. So we should go over. It's like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is like we've looked at the schedule we know that they're kind of most likely going to be at three wins or four wins and that there's almost no chance that they get to six same thing with seven and a half or eight and a half right those are for teams that bowl eligibility is somewhat of an afterthought and yeah like would they be okay with a six win season i was gonna say yes but like the answer is like maybe actually because they might not they might be like we're gonna skip the independence bowl we're notre dame for god's sake right we had a bad season we finished six and six it's the worst we're not doing this so the point is there's a bunch of teams here i'm going to list them all off arkansas five and a half minus 110 to the over baylor five and a half minus 110 cal five and a half minus 150 mm, let's go shy uh fsu five and a half minus 120 kansas state five and a half minus 120 maryland five and a half minus 140 purdue five and a half minus 110 every one of those teams if i said to you on december 23rd hey you want to grab a beer and watch the bowl game tonight and you said hey who's playing and if i said any one of those teams arkansas baylor cal fsu kansas state maryland or purdue you'd be like yeah okay i've heard of those teams makes sense they would make a bowl so they have this extra motivation to get to six wins on the flip side that's seven by the way seven different teams on the flip side You've got teams that are lined at six and a half. What's their motivation to get that seventh win? These are all teams that would be content with six wins. Boston College, six and a half, their under is actually plus 165. Do you think it's a successful season this year if Boston College goes six and six? I do. I think Boston College probably thinks so. If they're getting a trip at the end of the year, they're pumped about it. Now, maybe they're schedule is such that they probably should win more than that but who is boston college to just make it some sort of fait accompli obvious thing that they're going to win seven games right doesn't make sense indiana university last year had a really good season pulled off some upsets had some crazy results their number this year as a result is seven and a half 
Would Indiana University be content with 7-5 and five this season? They absolutely would be. Maybe not preseason, but once we get to the end of the season and they go, okay, we're in a bowl game, 7-5, and five, cool. Louisville, 6.5. Would it Louisville season? Second year, I believe, under their uh, under head coach um, that has come in, Satterfield. Would they be okay with a 6-6 six and six season? Probably. Mississippi State, 6.5. Nebraska, probably not that psyched with a 6.5, to be completely honest with you. But if you've looked at Nebraska's results recently, they probably should be. Northwestern, 6.5. Would they be okay with a six-win season? Pitt, Virginia, Wake Forest, Washington State, West Virginia. Think about all those teams. Same sort of deal. If, I, if you said, hey, who's playing in this bowl game? And I said to you, Boston College, Indiana, Louisville, Mississippi State, uh, Nebraska, Northwestern, Pittsburgh, Virginia, Wake Forest, Washington State, West Virginia. None of those would you say, what? They're not playing on New Year's Day? What went wrong for their season? You'd be like, oh, yeah. No, pinstripe bowl makes a ton of sense. The only one that I would say that I wouldn't sort of blindly bet here. Now, keep in mind, I just gave you seven overs. And I gave you what? 11 unders. The only one that sort of fits this criteria is NC State, six and a half. Their over is minus 105. That's a team that last year I just really enjoyed betting on. I think they deserved better. I think they are better. And they're a team that in the ACC, I think can win more games than they lose. And as such, I think they can actually go over six and a half. So I actually would bet NC State over six and a half at minus 105. And that doesn't go with the same sort of concept that we've had here. Now, I'm not saying all of these are going to win. Like I said, seven overs. What did I say? 11 unders. It's 18. I feel like we're going to get at least 11 and seven out of that group. Could be even a little bit better because, again, they are all shooting for the same thing. And that's six wins. Once they get to six wins, maybe there's a letdown. You know, maybe it's just a tough game. Maybe they're at six wins before their rivalry game. There's a couple here, Indiana and Purdue, for example. Indiana and Purdue, I believe, face each other in their last regular season game as they are in-state rivals. Might be a situation there where both teams are at six wins. Quite content. Uh, One thing to mention here, and it sucks, but at least it's going to be better than last year, I think. And that's your sportsbook rules on games that are postponed, canceled, or forfeited. It seems like there's going to be a lot of situations here where games are going to be forfeited if teams are getting busted um, from a COVID-19 standpoint, as well they should be at this point. From a future standpoint, I prefer division conference futures to win totals. Again, you get some plus money stuff in there. You can go, you know, three and three. And if you catch a pretty good one, or even if they're all just plus money, you're going to be profitable. That's something that we're going to write a column about here in the next couple of weeks. Um, There is no reason, or very little reason, to bet the college football national champion. Again, there are five teams capable um, of winning. Let me put it that way. Five teams capable of winning the national championship. They are Alabama. Maybe you've heard of them. Clemson. Maybe you've heard of them. Ohio State. Maybe you have heard of them. And to a lesser extent, slightly lesser extent, Georgia and Oklahoma. This season, the way things are sort of shaking out with returning quarterbacks, returning talent, coaches, etc., etc., the only one that I would look at and that I have already bet is Oklahoma at like 8-1 to if that's available at a sportsbook that you use. Anything other than that, There's just not really any reason to bother. 
right? Georgia plays Clemson in the first week of the season. You go, wait, what? That's a playoff level game, man. They're playing the first week of the season. That's amazing. The winner's going to go, oh, for sure. And the loser's gone. And oh, okay. No, it doesn't really matter. Georgia loses that game. Guess what? They still are probably going to be in the SEC title game. They are still probably going to need to beat Alabama. And if they do, they will be in the playoff. And then they will need to win two games in the playoff. And so if you're looking to bet Georgia, not in that game, but to win the national championship, understand that they're probably going to have to win three really tough games. Alabama and the SEC, and then two games in the playoff. Maybe another time against Alabama, for all we know. It's happened before. And that first game doesn't really matter. Same thing with Clemson. If they lose to Georgia, and then they win every game the rest of the way to win the ACC, and they're 11-1, and they're going to make the playoff. They're going to make the playoff. Or at least they're going to be one of the five teams eligible, not eligible, but like likely to make the playoffs. Right? Maybe it comes down to Georgia and Alabama for that SEC spot. Maybe Ohio State goes undefeated. Maybe Oklahoma goes undefeated. Both those teams are certainly good enough to do so. So basically the story of this season from a national championship standpoint is there's five teams, there's four spots. So this whole race is going to be which team is going to get left out. And maybe that Clemson-Georgia game at the start of the year puts one of those teams, I would say this is the most likely scenario, one of those teams, whoever loses, is going to be that fifth place team. And then it's up to them to move their way up or hope that somebody loses and knocks them, you know, knocks that team out and Clemson, say they lose, pack up or Georgia. Hopefully that made sense. Now you're sitting there and you're going like, okay, but like, what about long shots, man? Like 40 to 1, 60 to 1. There's got to be something, man. There's got to be something. Maybe... Maybe there's something in in so much as like, yes, not all of those five teams or four of those five teams, they're not the only teams that ever make the playoffs, right? Michigan State makes the playoffs. Iowa makes the playoffs. Notre Dame made the playoffs last year. So it wasn't four of those five teams. It was three and one other team in the same way that it was when Michigan State made the playoff and when Iowa made the playoff or some of these other years. Oregon has made the playoff. Florida State. A little bit farther back now. Here's the thing. Notre Dame. Notre Dame made the playoffs last year. And they were 17-point underdogs in their playoff game. First playoff game. They were like, you know, 17-point underdogs, of course, means what? 6, 7 to 1 to win the game outright. And if they had won that game and they had faced Clemson or Ohio State... They would have been two touchdown underdogs to them in all likelihood. Maybe a little bit less because, of course, that would have meant that they had beaten Alabama. But that's still another two, three, four to one on the money line. When you start slapping those together, you go seven to one and three to one. That's 21 to one. And you have to get to the playoff first. So say you you say last year, you're like, yeah, Notre Dame, I think they're going to make the playoff. You bet them, I don't remember what they were. Let's say they were 30 to 1. And you got there, and they were now 20 to 1. And yeah, like 21 is a better number, or 30 to 1 is a better number than 20 to 1. But you had to get to the playoff. You had to go through all of those games, right? You had to hope that all this, that, or whatever happened. You had to beat. 
Clemson on that Saturday night game when Trevor Lawrence was out due to COVID. Like, you needed that to happen. Think about all of those things that you need to happen. And that's just if you got it right, because maybe you had Notre Dame, but maybe you also threw a little on Iowa State. And Iowa State didn't get particularly close. But, like, that's on your ledger, too, right? Like, that investment that is in red on your, uh, you know, Excel spreadsheet, that's part of the bet too. So instead of 30 to one, right? Now it's a little bit less because you already use that, you use some money on Iowa State and pick whatever team, Oregon, Washington, Cal, I don't care. Point is any one of those surprise teams that, you know, we're all dying hope to make the playoff. And the reason that we're trying to make an eight team playoff or a 16 team playoff or whatever we're trying to do is just so that these teams can get killed by the five good teams or the four good teams. Now we all just assume Georgia's included in that mix. Maybe, maybe JT Daniels is good, but we don't actually know. We like it that his name is an initial, right? Like that's fun. JT sounds like he's got to be a good quarterback. Uh, recruited and went to USC. Okay. Probably, probably a really good quarterback. But do we know? No, we don't know for sure. So why would we bet all of these, any of these long shots? Right? Cincinnati. They're like 40, 50 to 1. They could go undefeated. They play Notre Dame. They could beat Notre Dame. They could go undefeated. And we'd look at it and go, okay, let's squeeze them in here. I don't know how many losses one of the big five would need to, you know, secede a position to an undefeated Cincinnati. But doesn't it feel like at least two? So you need Oklahoma, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, or Ohio State. You need two of those five teams to lose two games for Cincinnati to get in undefeated with a win over Notre Dame. So you need those. So you need two teams to lose two games. And by the way, you need Cincinnati to win against Notre Dame. And by the way, you need them to go undefeated in what has become a pretty good conference, at least getting better here in the American. So why would I bother with a 30, 40, 50, 60 to 1? This isn't college basketball where there's like 151, uh, 150 to 1 team that could make the Final Four. It doesn't work that way. So if we're looking for long shots, I've always been a fan of the Heisman. I like the Heisman, you know, the fact that it's uh, voting so you can sort of get a pulse for where people think the votes are going to go. Um, people's minds change with individual games and value gets created through the regular season and so i often say wait i have one big on lamar jackson at 70 to 1 i have one big on joe burrow at 50 to 1 i have one big on heisman before now you have to hope a guy that was ever listed at 50 to 1 ends up winning and that might not be the situation here because maybe we're all collectively from a market standpoint, getting smarter with who's out there that could potentially win the Heisman. It wasn't that long ago, right, that Robert Griffin III won the Heisman, a guy that no one saw coming. I can tell you I did not have a ticket on him that year. So I would say, wait, we'll give it a couple of weeks. We'll see who's good, who's, you know, who's a surprise, who, who, who the market has not adjusted to. But... It's a Heisman. It's really fun. I've got a couple rogue numbers here. Spencer Rattler is the favorite by and large. Why? Oklahoma's got a schedule that they could go undefeated. They could go to the playoff. Keep in mind, Heisman Trophy given out before the playoff, so we don't need the champion 
right? Like that doesn't matter in all of this. Spencer Rattler available plus 600 over at our friends at CoolBet. It's the best price that you're going to get on Spencer Rattler, who is going to put Oklahoma quarterback style numbers up, right? Pick your Oklahoma quarterback all the way up until Jalen Hurts. These guys put up massive numbers. Baker Mayfield winning the winning the Heisman. Kyler Murray winning the Heisman, et cetera, et cetera. Spencer Rattler is the next in line there. What if he doesn't? Who else do we like? Sam Howell, North Carolina. They don't play Clemson until the ACC championship. That's a team that could also be undefeated. He is a Baker Mayfield type of quarterback, scrambling around, throwing deep, getting loose. Guy that we know of already from playing last year, was in a major bowl game against Texas A&M last year. Fiesta Bowl, I think. 17-1, to 1, he's available. Uh, also over at CoolBet, for those of you here in Canada. And then I, man- I mentioned um, Cincinnati. Again, they could go undefeated. They could beat Notre Dame. They're not going to make the playoffs unless they get incredibly lucky with some other teams losing and they win every single game. But could they go 11-1 and with a win over Notre Dame and have Desmond Ritter look awesome doing it? Absolutely. If a guy from Baylor, if a guy from Louisville can win the Heisman Trophy, a guy who's been in the, I was going to say in the league, but in college football for a couple of years now, Desmond Ritter could win the Heisman Trophy available 60-1 to over, I believe, at Bet365, if you want to check that out. So why not some of these other guys, right? We obviously we have you know a favorite here in Rattler, and we have Howell, which is sort of you know in some places he's in the single digits, but we found a rogue seventeen to one, and Desmond Ritter is obviously the long shot of the group here at sixty to one. No Alabama, why? Don't know enough about the quarterback, don't believe enough in the quarterback, and it's not like Alabama quarterbacks are just winning Heisman's left, right, and center. Tua didn't. Basically, none of their guys have. Mac Jones kind of almost did, but guess what? So much talent on that team, another guy swooped in and got it in uh, Devontae Smith. So nobody on Alabama do I want to mess with right now. Maybe later, maybe if it's clear that there's a guy on that team. Uh, JT Daniels, just talked about it. Georgia, best thing that they do every year is defense. And they need offense to compete, but they don't need offense to be unbelievable for them to be unbelievable. So no JT Daniels. Hard pass on there. No DJ Uyagalele. I think I did that okay. It'll get better. Good news is about not having the podcast anymore is I don't have to pronounce names. I just have to spell names. When it comes to DJ, that might be even harder. You got the Georgia-Clemson game off the start there. So why would I mess with anybody on that team? How much lower could these favorites go with a win in that game? If Clemson wins that game, does DJ really fall or should say fall, climb up into like a three to one, a four to one after one game. If he does, okay, fine. Knock yourselves out, folks. Bet that guy after one game. But meanwhile, Spencer Rattler is going to be throwing six touchdowns a game against some of the opponents that he's got early on in this season. The Pac-12. The good news about the Pac-12 is no one pays attention to the Pac-12. And the reason that's good news is if there's somebody who's really good, Let's say uh, Jaden Daniels for Arizona State. Let's say he's awesome. We'll be the first to know, and the market will probably be the last to know. Maybe not the last to know, but a little bit later 
than most, right? We can probably end up getting a good number on him. Probably worth mentioning Arizona State as this team that's in flux here. They might get busted due to recruiting violations. That's a team that could, in theory, compete for a national title. From a talent standpoint, they are 100 to 1 in some spots. But you are then betting, obviously, on the Pac-12 getting a playoff team. You're betting on the NCAA not cracking down on some pretty egregious violations. And you're just betting on a team having to win all of their games. And like we said, if they win all their games and those other five teams win all their games, with obviously the exception of the matchups where maybe Alabama you know, loses to Georgia, but Georgia loses to Clemson, and they're all sitting there with one loss, again, who do you think's getting in? Arizona State or one loss Alabama or one loss Georgia or one loss Clemson? Um, other teams, Texas, Iowa State, A&M, Ohio State. We don't really know what this quarterback situation is necessarily going to look like. So I'm going to pass on all of those guys for now. But we're keeping our heads on a swivel, our eyes on the prize here when it comes to Heisman betting. Sometimes the best Heisman bets are made in the third weekend of September. Okay, that's a wrap. Not just for this episode, but for the podcast. Again, apologies that I went for so long. My last chance to really ramble with you. Hopefully you made it this far. Um, either on this podcast specifically or with the show in its entirety. Again, feel free to go back and listen to some of the old ones, especially the ones with interviews, literally only the ones with interviews, because those ones are evergreen and they will still be helpful to you going forward. Uh, If you're like me and you believe in the medium, the podcasting medium, you've probably had one of your go-to shows go off the air or change schedules or personnel and it's kind of unsettling right like you're taking the dog for the walk you're you know having lunch you're doing what you're doing and you're driving home you know jumping on the train i could say more things but you get the point uh i remember back in the day wasn't even that long ago right the old svp and Rosillo show i got really into that show for a little while and then almost as soon as i got into it they announced that svp was going to host the sports center show the midnight sports center and I was like, man, I was really just sort of getting that show, really sort of understanding that show and really finding a place in my day for that show. And so it's weird to feel like I'm the one now doing the unsettling. But the good news is, is that SVP Sports Center is probably is, isn't just the best. It's the best sports center, maybe the best sports center ever. And it might be the best thing that ESPN does right now. And meanwhile, Ryan Rossillo's podcast is very good, and the stuff that he does over at The Ringer is very good as well. And so if you had told me back then that both of these guys were going to provide me with good content in their own specific way, I'd have been less bummed out about the fact that I didn't have this show that I had anymore for walking the dog, for going on the subway, etc., etc. So I don't know if I'm that for you necessarily, or if I ever have been that for you, Uh, And maybe you've literally only started listening to the show for the NHL playoffs or whatever. Or maybe you've been around um, like some of our guys out there um, since last summer. You know, the few few of you that were. Um, You know, so I kind of want to apologize, right? That's how sort of strange this sort of feels here. Uh, But again, it's not a goodbye. Uh, I'm still here. Shoot me DMs. Read the stuff. Ask me questions. Again, I want to do a mailbag episode this summer with 
you know, people, because they send me, like, really good, well-thought-out questions about, like, what to do about this. You know, sometimes it's about hedging. Sometimes it's about this team, this, this that, or whatever. Um, but, again, follow along at Authentic, Catch all the different appearances that hopefully we'll be able to do and all the fun stuff that I'll be able to do at the score here starting next week. I guess you don't need to subscribe or share the podcast, but you could rate or review it. That'd be really cool to see a review after the fact. Until next time, whenever that may be, I'll see you at the window.